You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning again. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. We have air conditioning this morning, so that's reason to praise Jesus. Trent's excited, at least. (laughs) We're We're in week two of a series right now called Soul Work. And this series is all about how we actually can care for the most important part of us, which is our soul, and how we can experience stability in a fragile and fractured world. And so as we begin week two this morning, I want to ask you uh, to consider this statement right here. And the statement is this, my strongest desires are not my deepest desires. My strongest desires are not my deepest desires. What do I mean when I say that? Well, if you're in customer service, you probably, you probably know what this means. You maybe encounter this customer whose name maybe is Karen, and your strongest desire is to give Karen, we have Karens in our church, they're the most wonderful people on the planet, just so you know. I don't hate Karens, but you encounter this customer, and your strong desire is to give this customer a piece of your mind, but your deep desire is to keep your job and be able to pay your bills. Amen? Anybody else had an experience like that? Or maybe in your health, your your strong desire is to not go to the gym and binge Netflix, but your deep desire is to be a healthy person. Maybe you've had a fight with your spouse, and your strong desire is to win the argument, but your deep desire is to win the relationship. Right? Happy spouse, happy house, happy wife, happy life, however you want to say it. What about with faith? I think there's moments when it comes to faith in Jesus where my strong desire is to make the decision that is apathetic or selfish. But if we really dig down deep, my deep desire is to be formed into the image of Jesus. My strong desires are not the same thing as my deep desires. And here's the problem. Often our strong desires become cheap substitutes for our deepest desires. Like maybe your strong desire is for the bottle or the joint or whatever it might be, only to mask a deep desire for peace and freedom from anxiety. My strong desires can often become a cheap substitute for my deep desires. Even as you look at just kind of the cultural debates that are happening around sexuality right now in our culture. Right, the strong desire is to express myself in the most authentic way possible, whether that's through gender or sexual expression. And yet often, the desire, the deep desire underneath that is a desire to be known and to be loved and to belong. My strong desires are not the same as my deep desires. But I think there's one area And this is one that I want to focus on in our time together today. There's one area that I would argue perhaps universally is a battleground between our strong desires and our deep desires. And this one area is actually not one that we talk about all that often in the church. 
And to be honest, I don't think I've ever preached on this specific subject before in the three years that I've been here, but there's one area where I think this battleground exists in some small way for every single one of us, and it's the area of food. Not what you thought I was going to say. Right? I'm not asking for a show of hands or anything this morning, but how many of us have ever in some way, in some level, had some kind of unhealthy relationship with food? You know, I even, I even say that out loud, and I imagine that some of us, that brings up deep feelings of shame, desiring to hide. Maybe you've struggled with an eating disorder in your life. Maybe even it's a smaller way in your life where you have different diet needs or, or sensitivities. Food, food, I would argue, can become one of the cheapest substitutes for our deepest desires because food is connected to so many different things. Think about this. Food is connected to safety. Food is connected to security. It's connected to image. It's connected to status, to privilege, to pleasure. Food has a power over our lives that in some cases we do not want to admit how much power it actually has. Like if we're honest, Food, body, and desire for food has way more power over us than most of us want to admit. And this is a topic that is actually talked about way, 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 way more in the Bible than we talk about it in church. Like if you go to the beginning of the story of the scriptures, the very beginning, what was the very first temptation that the serpent provided to Adam and Eve in the garden? It surrounded food, didn't it? Like Genesis 3, 6, I brought... The verse here says this, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The very first sin spoke to something deeper, but the means by which it happened was food. Right? Food was the strong desire. It was pleasurable. It was good to the eyes. But the deeper desire that it spoke to was the desire to be wise and to be like God. Food is a powerful battleground in our lives. And I think the question that is important for all of us to ask is if our strong desires are a cheap substitute for our deepest desires, what happens when those strong desires are just kind of removed? Like if money and the desire to accumulate stuff is a strong desire in your life that's just masking a need for safety and security in your life, what happens when gas prices and beef prices skyrocket? We don't know what to do, right? Our whole world is shaken. We don't know how to find stability because we've used a strong desire for money as a cheap substitute for a deep desire for security and safety. Same thing with food. Like, what happens if food is a cheap substitute for comfort, image, stability? Then what happens when grocery store shelves are empty or EBT benefits run out? Well, it can lead us to a place of despondence, hopelessness, rage, and instability. But what if there was a spiritual practice that can weaken our strong desires and actually strengthen our deepest desires? What if there was a spiritual practice that Jesus actually gave us that can weaken the things that we use as cheap substitutes for the real thing? I have good news for you this morning. There is. 
and it is the practice of fasting. Now, before you fall asleep or check out, give me a few moments because I actually believe this is a practice that can powerfully change our lives and unearth some of the deeper things in our lives. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take a look at two different stories from Jesus' life. Two different stories that we're going to compare and contrast with, with each other. And I believe that if you can put some of these things into practice in your life, you're going to see some radical change in how you experience the deeper desires of your life and your soul being met. And so I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is the first place that we're going to be. And as we're turning there, I just want to set the stage briefly for you here. So Jesus has just been baptized. His, his public ministry has just started. So he's, he's uh, baptized. His father speaks out of the clouds, and his father says, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. The father speaks life over Jesus. And it's right after this moment that Jesus is led into the wilderness. Well, the verse says it, so we're going to just read it here. So, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after, what's that next word there? Fasting. 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's like Captain Obvious, most obvious verse in the Bible, right? He was hungry after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Let's pause here for a moment. This is a really, really cruel and mean temptation to offer someone who's been fasting for 40 days, isn't it? In, in fact, it kind of echoes the same temptation that the tempter gave Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And so the tempter comes to Jesus and he says, if you are the son of God, he attacks his identity, which is a deep need. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. That's like walking up to somebody who has to pee and like talking about water endlessly, right? Like, yeah, anyways, we'll just leave it at that. But here's what I want you to notice even before we go to the next verse here. Jesus, in this moment, was physically weak after fasting for 40 days. But make no mistake about it, he was spiritually strong as a result of this 40-day period. He was spiritually at the height of his strength. How do we know this? Because of what he says next here. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Actually, what's interesting is that word man, Jesus is quoting a passage from the Old Testament, but that word man is the word Adam, Adam. Adam shall not live by bread alone. You see, by limiting Jesus' strongest need, which is the need for food and the desire to eat and the desire for hunger, by limiting that, his spiritual, his deeper needs, communion with his father are strengthened. There's a, there's a quote by a priest named Thomas Ryan who says it this way about fasting. He says, hunger is a feeling of emptiness, of desire for sustenance. Hunger is the state of not having what we need or want and yearning for it, right? Everybody knows those feelings of hunger pangs. Feeling hunger on a physical level helps us access the concept of desire and need on a spiritual level. In other words, fasting creates a strong need, which is physical hunger, that has the power to unearth or reveal our deeper needs 
spiritual hunger. Why is this? Because as you read throughout the scriptures, we are never invited to come to Jesus from a place of strength on our own. We are never invited to come to Jesus once we get our act pulled together or get ourselves cleaned up. We are never invited to come to Jesus with prerequisites that depend on our own strength and our own ability. And fasting is a way in which we remind ourselves that his power is made perfect in my weakness. See, you don't hear that message all that much from our culture, do you? This idea of embracing our own weakness, embracing our own limitations, embracing kind of the limits of our lives. You don't hear that message all that much. We have a culture that lives by the the pleasure principle. It says if you have a need, meet it as quickly and as swiftly and as easily as you can. But the Bible actually teaches a different way a better way that can lead to more spiritual stability. My weakness reminds me of my deep desire for Jesus. I want to ask you to think through this picture with me for just a moment. This is an experience probably almost every single one of us has had at some point in our lives. It's checking out at the grocery store. How many of you love grocery shopping? Do you want to... Can we talk after service? Okay. Do you want to grocery shop for us? Okay. Cool. Man, I hate grocery shopping. I hate it. But I think one of the worst parts about grocery shopping is the checkout process, at least. Like, you're ready to be done. You're ready to get out to the car and just get this over with. And sometimes that just takes forever as well. And so I want you to just picture this moment of being in a checkout lane and all of the different things that you experience as you are checking out with your groceries. Okay, so so you start and you're loading your groceries on the little conveyor belt, getting everything loaded up, and and maybe you're thinking to yourself in that moment, like there's some anxiety, like, ah, am I going to have enough money on my card to pay for this, or are my benefits going to cover this, or whatever it might be. And so as you're loading this, you have this kind of sense of angst maybe. Or maybe you've experienced kind of cheap substitutes, right? Like chicken nuggets are way easier than chicken breasts, and so I got the chicken, we do the same thing, no judgment there. What if your car gets declined? What if the benefits don't come through, right? For some of us, there's that sense of anxiety, even as we're checking out. But then as you get your groceries loaded up, you look to your left, and you see the rack of magazines, right? You see Chris Hemsworth with his 12-pack abs that are, half of them are Photoshopped, right? And you're like, ah. Or you see, like, People Magazine taking pictures of Jennifer Lopez on vacation and pointing out her cellulite. And so all of a sudden, you're met with this this kind of idea of this identity thing, right, coming at you, like, this is what the perfect body looks like. This is what means to be less than, and all of these things are coming at you. So that's on your left. And then you look over to your right, and what do you see there? You see all of the snacks. And they never put healthy snacks at the at the grocery store checkout. It's all the sugar, it's all the sodium, there's never fruits or veggies, at least in the grocery stores I go to. And so think about this one moment, this one experience. In front of you, you have food anxiety. To the left of you, you have body insecurity. And to the right of you, you have a deep need to kind of meet that immediate, like, craving for hunger. See, all three of these things have one thing in common, not just an unhealthy relationship to food, but the strong desire of our flesh to become our own master to have cheap substitutes 
for the real deep needs of our soul. You see, many of us live by the pleasure principle. That just says meet your needs as fast as you possibly can. Meet your crave. Maybe needs is even too deep of a word. Maybe it's cravings. Maybe it's just like desires in that moment. See, we want to do what feels good in the moment. We make our strong desires cheap substitutes for our deep desires. And you thought it was just a Big Mac. No, it was Satan, actually. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Big, I love Big Macs. <laughs> Food's obviously not a bad thing. It's not. And it's, this is not to heap guilt and shame on any of us because diet culture does enough of that. But what I'm trying to get up here is that we constantly are covering up the things inside of us with food and other good things. And fasting has the power to unveil what exists deeper under the surface. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes about those who got, whose gods are their bellies. You see, if pride is what controls us, fasting can unearth that. It can reveal that. King David in Psalm 69.10 said he humbled his soul with fasting. If anger or bitterness or jealousy or strife or fear, if those things are driving us, fasting has the unique ability to bring those things to the surface. How? Well, that's where the second story from Jesus' life comes in. And before we turn to this passage of Scripture, I, I just want to tell the story before we read part of it. Because there's another story from Jesus' life where he takes a very, very small group, just a couple of his disciples, up to a mountaintop. And right before them, he is transfigured. So his face becomes just completely white. He is glowing. He is radiating the presence and the power and the glory of God. And beside him appears Elijah and Moses. And if you are a disciple watching this unfold, your jaw is dropped. And then out of the cloud comes a voice that says the same thing about Jesus that he said at his baptism. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. And Peter's response in this moment, like Peter does, is, what can I do? I need to like build something right now. What a typical guy response to that, right? I need to like build something, <laughs> like Tim the Taylor tool man, right? Like I'm going to deflect. It's actually interesting because the text says that he's afraid. So he's afraid and he's confused and he deflects by wanting to build something. And yet in that moment, when the father is explicitly telling these guys, this is my son, he is your deepest desire, he is the deepest longing of your soul, listen to him. Peter makes a choice to rely on his own strength, his own abilities, his own insecurities, his strong needs as a mask for his deepest need, which is communion with Jesus. And so as they come down the mountain, after experiencing this glorious, amazing, incredible moment with Jesus and Elijah and Moses and just like this jaw-dropping, no-words-adequate kind of moment, they encounter a boy who is plagued by seizures 
And these seizures are causing great harm to this boy. These seizures are throwing him into a fire. He's getting burned. These, these seizures are throwing him into water. He's nearly drowning. And his father, rightfully so, is distressed. And he comes to Jesus from this place of desperation. And these disciples, the very same disciples who could do nothing, nothing to, to uh, or I'm sorry, these same disciples who experienced the power of Jesus can do nothing to actually heal this possessed boy. They can do nothing to heal the seizures. They can do nothing. And so Jesus, to this desperate father who says, Lord, I believe you can do this. Help my unbelief. Who comes to Jesus from a place of desperation, hunger, and weakness. Jesus casts out the spirit. The boy is healed from his seizures. But then the disciples are kind of like, what just happened there? Like, we just went on this mountain. We just saw the power of God. We just came down. We can't, we can't cast this seizure, the spirit, out of this boy. What just happened here? And Jesus says something so profound, so important, so significant, and I don't want us to miss this because it matters. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 19 and 20. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. We sang this just a couple minutes ago, right? I've seen you move the mountains. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, what does that have to do with fasting? What does that have to do with what we just talked about? Well, if you have a Bible in front of you, if you have a, a physical Bible, one thing that you'll notice that's a little bit weird about this particular passage is that there is no verse 21. It goes from verse 20 to 22. There is no verse 21 contained in the passage, but there is a Matthew 17, verse 21. Some early manuscripts include these words of Jesus, and some do not. But we know he said them because Mark 9 includes them in his account of this story. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says about this kind of faith. Don't miss this. He says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and what? Fasting. You see the parallels between these two stories? In the first one, Jesus is baptized. The Father speaks life over him. This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And Jesus goes out into the desert and he fasts and he experiences spiritual victory over temptation in the wilderness. The second one, disciples get to experience a very similar moment to Jesus' baptism. They get to experience the, the Father speaking the same things over his Son and the glory and the power of God expressed through the person of Jesus. And yet after his disciples return from this mountain, they experience spiritual defeat. What is the difference? Jesus points them to this practice of fasting. But here's the kicker. These disciples knew how to fast. They were Jewish. They fasted twice a week. They, they withheld food from themselves twice a week. So Jesus is not just pointing them to this religious ritual or this religious practice. What Jesus is asking them is, what is the deepest hunger of your soul? What is your deepest desire? What is your deepest longing? What is the thing that if you were to lose everything else, if you had this one thing, you would be okay? 
What is your deepest longing? You see, Jesus knew how to starve his strongest desires to feed his deepest desires. And his point is that the only faith that has power and stability and longevity is the faith that is expressed through human weakness, human limitation, so that God's power and strength can show through. A faith that has such a desperation and such a hunger for the person of Jesus, a faith that says, Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. And Jesus' words to his disciples, Jesus' words to each and every one of us are your deepest desire, your deepest need, your deepest hope, your deepest longing is me. But many of you don't see it because you're too busy meeting your own needs. You're too busy relying on your own abilities. You're too self-reliant. You're too self-sufficient. You're too self-important. If you have a problem, you just fix it. It's easy. It's snap your fingers, one and done. If you're hungry, you eat. If you're emotionally insecure, you shop. If you're sad, you binge. The culture you live in certainly will never help you see your deepest need is for you. And so what you actually need to do to experience this is change your environment. Not just change your willpower, but actually make decisions to change your environment that cultivates that deep hunger and longing for the person of Jesus. And that is exactly what the practice of fasting does for us. That's it. Like, I brought this statement here, that fasting starves our strongest desires to feed our deepest desire, which is communion with Jesus. Fasting has the ability to starve those strong desires to feed the deeper desire. So I want to invite every single one of us to do this week is to try this out. My assumption is that most of us in this room, most of us watching online, have never actually tried a fast for spiritual reasons before. Most Christians don't do this anymore. Jesus assumed that his followers would practice fasting. He actually, in Matthew 6, says, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. It was an assumption that we would do this as a practice in our lives. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do this week. Pick one day to fast. One day to fast. Now, I understand we all have different dietary needs. We all have different situations. So adapt it to how you need to. Like, if you're nursing, you probably can't fast for a full... Like, adapt it how you need to. But I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you to just try this out for one day if you've never tried it. I'm going to do mine tomorrow on Monday. But here's what fasting is, and I just want to give you some clear ideas of what this practice is. Fasting is the choice not to eat, okay? It is food-related. We'll often say, well, I'm going to fast from, you know, uh, social media or whatever it might be. That's abstaining. That's a good thing, but that's not what we're talking about here. Like, if you're here and you're saying, well, I'll just fast from Xbox for a day. It's like, no, Jimmy, you're 43, okay? That's called being an adult, <laughs> So it's not just abstaining. That's a good thing, right? I'm sorry if your name is Jimmy and you're 43 and you play Xbox. So, <laughs> Fasting is withholding food from ourselves for one day. And it's not a, it's not a restricted diet either. It's not like, 
uh, intermittent fasting to lose weight or detox your body. Like, I love intermittent fasting. I've lost a bunch of weight. I love it. It's, it's good. But that's not what it's after. Jesus was not out in, there in the wilderness to get shredded when he spoke on stage, okay? Jesus' motivation was not to look good. Here's the thing, too. When I, I've noticed for myself, when I fast to lose weight, all I can think about is food. Right, So all I can think about is like my next meal. I obsess over that. So that's not what we're talking about here either. Here's what we're talking about. Withholding food from ourselves for one day and then directing that longing to the person of Jesus. Right? This goes right back to what we talked about last week. What you attach yourself to is way more important than what you detach yourself from. It's not just about withholding food from yourself. It's this practice of attaching yourself to Jesus in the process. And so here's the key to fasting. Have a plan for when hunger sets in. Have a plan, which for some of us is, you know, 7 a.m. when we wake up. Have a plan for when hunger sets in. Maybe it's prayer. Like maybe when hunger and those pangs and that obsession over food sets in, you just pray. You go to God in prayer. And maybe for you it's reading the Psalms. That's a great place to go if you find yourself hungry and longing. Maybe for you, it's making a gratitude list and just thanking God for all of the areas that he has provided for you. As this is a powerful, powerful spiritual practice, and I want to invite every single one of us to pick one day this week to try this out in some way, whatever works for you. And here's the other kicker. Don't post about it on social media. Like Jesus said, when you fast, and Matthew 6, he says this, when you fast, don't make a big deal about it. Like you don't have to dishevel yourself like the hypocrites do. You don't have to like announce it or proclaim it to the world. Just do it in the secret place. Try it. Try it out and see what God does in that one day period for you this next week. And if God does something cool, do it again the next week. And just try this as a practice in your life. I want to close uh, with a story. As many of you know, I had the opportunity to go to Guatemala uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, while we were there, it was the, one of the first days we were there, it was after the church service, uh, we were taking the pastor and his family out to lunch. And uh, his name is Pastor Jorge, and uh, we, we took him out to lunch. And as we were driving to lunch, our trip leader turns to me and says, this is a really big treat for this pastor and his family. Like, this is not a type of meal that they would ever really get unless somebody else was buying it for them or providing it for them. This is considered a very, very fancy, nice, good quality meal for this family. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, awesome, this is going to be so good. And so we get to the restaurant, and it's a cool restaurant. Like, it's, it's decent, it's nice, but I don't, like, he said it was fancy. I'd say it was fancy, like, I don't know, like Applebee's on a date night. <laughs> Got that Bourbon Street steak and that Oreo shake. Got the whipped cream on the top, too. Two straws, one check, girl, I got none. I spent a lot of time trying to learn those lyrics this week, just so you know. So anyways, no, this was a nice restaurant, but it wasn't what I would necessarily call, like, super, super over-the-top fancy. It was, it was decent, right? But for, for Pastor Jorge and his family, this was a massive treat. I mean, this was like Ruth's Chris quality for them. And as we were sitting there, kind of eating this meal, sharing this food together... I just began asking him some questions about his church and just kind of wanting to learn about this community whose service we had just experienced a couple hours before. And so the first question I asked him is, I said, what are the biggest like challenges and needs in your community? 
And immediately he knew the answer. He went right after the strong needs in their community. Right? There's a lot of people in our community who are hungry, who don't have access to good health care, who don't have jobs, who are struggling in their families, who've experienced law. I mean, he went through very real, very pressing, strong needs. And then I asked him a follow-up question. I said, well, what do you think the greatest strength in your church is, in your community? And without skipping a beat, he said, our single greatest strength is the power of Jesus to change all of that. He said, our, our single greatest strength is the power of the gospel to go forth and to transform this community. And as I sat there around this meal that he considered fancy, that I didn't consider all that fancy, it hit me in that moment that I live in a culture, in a world where if I have a strong need, I just go meet it. I don't think about it. It's quick, it's easy. But in that process, I can often forget that my deepest need is for the power and the presence of Jesus to be able to change everything else. So as I think about our community, what are the strong needs in our community? What are the things that people have just been enslaved to for so long? Can I say one that I think it is? As I observe our community, there is a grip that alcohol has on this community that is dark, that is dangerous. I have seen the damage that this can cause in families and communities and the way that it is just wrecking havoc. And what I see people doing is trying to meet this strong need when there is a deep need under the surface that is going unmet. You see, guys, our community's deepest need is the power and the presence of Jesus. I see this happening in our community with things like money, which feels very unstable right now. And I get that. I'm not immune to that. My family's not immune to that. But that's not our deepest need. Our deepest need is the power and the presence of Jesus Christ to transform all of it, to free the bondage that a lot of us live in, to transform families, to transform lives. I, I do not want cheap substitutes for the real thing. I don't want that. And I don't want us to be a church that settles for that. Because when we settle for that, the community looks at us and they don't see a faith that can move mountains. They just see kind of people who give lip service and then the rest of our lives look the same as everyone else's. Fasting is one of those practices where we can starve the cheap substitutes that are not necessarily bad but can get in the way of the real deep thing. So let's be a church that longs to meet and see the deep needs of our community in our own lives. I'm gonna offer us a word of prayer and then we're gonna respond with just a simple chorus of a song we sang earlier in worship. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, for your presence, your power in this community, for just the way in which you've moved. And Jesus, I just echo the, the longing of David in the Psalms that 
in a dry and weary land where there is no water, where I am parched, where I am longing. Water is not my ultimate satisfaction. You are. That you are living water for the thirsty. That you are the bread of life for the hungry. And so, Lord, where we have settled for cheap substitutes for that in so many different areas of our lives, may fasting help us redirect our deepest longing for you. And so, Lord, I pray that we can put this into practice as a discipline in our lives, however regular that looks for us. Not because there's anything magical about fasting in and of itself, but what it can lead to, which is a deeper dependence and reliance on you. So, God, we love you. And it's in the holy name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.